In an increasingly diverse and secular country, the provision of Christian education in state-run primary schools is under threat. As Penny Mackay has been finding out for Radio New Zealand's Insight programme, Christian education's slow demise is welcomed by some, but greeted with dismay by others, who see it as a vital course in values and ethics. It's Sunday in Waikanae, north of Wellington. About 200 worshippers have gathered in the town's Memorial Hall, the popular 10am family service having outgrown St Luke's Anglican Church across the road. The primary school children soon depart to a side room of the empty church. They'll spend the next hour with their teacher, Richard Bronze, learning through the story of Adam and Eve about taking responsibility for their actions. It's a scene supporters of religious education in schools would relish. Children, eager to learn, being taught in an engaging way about the right thing to do. But critics of religious lessons in schools say while a Sunday school like this is just the place to learn about Christianity, state-run primary schools are not. Before 1877, schools in New Zealand were largely run by missionaries. And the first Mary Chamberlain, the group curriculum manager for the Ministry of Education, explains that while integrated church-based schools and state secondary schools are free to weave religious activity into the day, state-run primary schools have been secular for more than 130 years. There was competition to run the schools and to influence children around character education, but it was also inculcating a particular view of largely Christian religions and there were, as I believe from reading the history books, a lot of tensions arising between the different groups. To stop the sectarian squabbling, the state took over primary education declaring it to be compulsory, free and secular. But a loophole in legislation allows schools to technically close so religious instruction can take place, providing it's for no more than 30 minutes a week, 20 hours a year. Here at Waikanae, Kapanui School closes to normal instruction from 9 until 9.30 on Friday mornings. It's Roger Big's second year at Kapanui and his fourth as a volunteer CRE teacher. I've got last year's form here. For the first session, we were learning to recognise that we're all different and that makes us special. Um, the next one is to respect others and learn from others. You've got to respect other people. Like, so the way that you want to get respected, you've got to have responsibility for what you do. Someone's annoying you, just relax and like, don't hurt them and like, be friends with them. Well, I used to get mad at my sister, but um, the teacher helped me with that and told me not to like get mad at her because um, if I treat her that way, then she'll treat me the same way back. When my brother and I were having a um, fight, um, I just spoke to him nicely and then he didn't, wasn't really mad anymore. In an increasingly antisocial world, many would favour lessons teaching children how to deal peaceably with others. But when given the opportunity to withdraw their children from religious instruction or opt out, many parents do so. Most primary schools have done away with religious instruction altogether. Only about a third offered it to their pupils last year. 
Tiaro Primary School in the centre of Wellington is one that doesn't offer religious instruction. The principal, Bryce Coleman, says the school teaches children from up to 40 different cultures. Bible in schools is predominantly a Christian-based religious study and we've got children right across every religion so I don't see why they should be subjected to a religion they don't believe in. And so you, know, you teach all religions across all cultures if it comes up in a unit study. Patria Medland, the National Manager of the Christian Religious Education, or CRE, program, says children from other religions do attend the program and teachers are directed to make sure they too feel comfortable. We want, regardless of a child's religion or belief, that they can learn something from it. Our program needs to be one that they can make application to whether or not they believe that there will still be something that they can learn. Because that 30 minutes a week needs to add value to that student's life. Patria Medlin says the phrase used in CRE classes quite deliberately is, this is what Christians believe. She says teachers are made particularly aware that preaching is frowned on. They sign a code of expectations that a teacher must not proselytise. Teachers are expected to be accredited, which requires 10 basic training modules, and one of those in particular addresses that very fact and says, hey, that is not appropriate, that's not why we are in classrooms. But an Auckland solicitor, Jordan Cox, who in 2009 completed research into the law surrounding religion in schools, believes there are many ways in which CRE lessons communicate dogma. The volunteers are obviously going to have that partisan view behind them and it's going to be quite hard for them to sort of monitor that at all times. Uh, there's instances where the materials that they use are quite clearly Jesus died on the cross for our sins rather than Christians believe Jesus died on the cross. So while they put that in place at the start, I don't know if it gets carried across in practice. In answer to a question about how confident she can be that none of the 3,500 CRE teachers preach, Patria Medlin says she can be as sure as the Ministry of Education can be about its teachers and the messages they deliver. We have, in the last couple of years, begun a survey that can go out to schools called the CRE Satisfaction Survey. And we're asking principals and all their staff to give us feedback about how the program's going in their schools. We want to know if there are any problems or concerns, and we will address that. One argument in the debate goes that parents who want a religious education for their children should send them to a religious school or to Sunday school. But international legislation, to which New Zealand is a signatory, says parents have the right to state education for their children, which suits the parents' worldview. Boards of trustees and principals are then left with the sometimes prickly issue of catering to the diverse needs and wishes of their parent communities. What to do when a community is split down the middle? Or if a small but vocal group wants something different to everybody else? At times, it's not an easy decision, as these news cuttings indicate. Attempts to finally settle a long-standing contentious religious instruction issue at Paikokariki School failed at last night's Board of Trustees meeting. Opposing sides in a row over religious instruction at a Wellington State Primary School have hired legal heavyweight Sir Geoffrey Palmer and Chapman Tripp to fight their cases. A stoush over a traditional recital of the Lord's Prayer at a posh Auckland primary school's weekly assembly could have wider implications for the country's supposedly secular schools. 
Such incidents become a thicket of competing rights. The Human Rights Commissioner, Joris Debres, describes how the Bill of Rights protects the various freedoms of children to observe or not observe religion. Section 13 recognises the freedom of conscience, religion and belief, and I think inherently recognises that there is a diversity of uh, conscience, religion and belief. Uh, Section 15 is about the right to manifest religion. That can actually be in terms of wearing a particular garment or ornament, you know, some religious symbol. Uh, The third one is about freedom from discrimination, that's section 19 of the Bill of Rights Act. And so if you feel in any way that you are being treated unequally on the grounds of your religion, either because the majority is doing something that you are then required to do with them, or that you are unable to do as a minority, that becomes an issue. And then the final thing is that section 20 is about the rights of minorities, and that people will not be denied the right to enjoy their culture or practice their religion. These rights often compete with one another, with the secular nature of primary schooling, and with the right of boards of trustees to develop the special character of their schools reflecting the community's wishes. Joris Debres says it's all about balance. Certainly wherever there is a conflict about these things, it's often not a simple matter of saying it's one right rather than the other. There's a lot of pressure on us to come down with a ruling on this, but essentially every case has to be considered in terms of the particular beliefs and the particular circumstances of those involved. The Human Rights Commission and the Programme Director for Religious Studies at Victoria University, Professor Paul Morris, have produced a manual to help boards, principals and parents find a way through the tangle of issues surrounding religion in schools. While Religion in New Zealand Schools, Questions and Concerns lays out in simple terms the legalities of religious education, there are areas that remain opaque, such as religious observance, including prayers and hymn singing. I went to a Presbyterian Sunday school and my parents still go to church on and off. My husband Daniel's from Taiwan, so he came here when he was in his teens. And Nikki Butt and her husband Daniel Wu live in an eclectic religious environment. Buddhism, Taoism, Christianity and Judaism all flow easily through and around their family and friends. But in 2004, Dr. Butt became unhappy with Christian observance during an assembly she attended at her five-year-old's primary school. The assembly started with all the kids standing up and singing the Lord's Prayer because there was nothing about religion in any of the prospectuses or the notices home or anything like that. And then one of the kids stood up and said, let us pray. And all the kids bowed their heads and clasped their hands together And the little boy said, thank you, God, for teaching us to spell so that our school can get lots of spellathon money. And all the kids said, amen. With Christmas approaching and the school children preparing for a nativity play and practising carols, Nikki Butt tried to rationalise what her daughter was hearing at school with the more eclectic beliefs of the wider family. At your school, some of the teachers believe that Jesus is king of the whole world, like you're learning about in these songs but there would be other people that are important to you, like your grandparents from Taiwan, who don't believe that Jesus is king of the whole world. And she got really upset, and, you know, all five-year-olds love their teachers, and the teacher's right, and mum's probably wrong. She got tearful and stamped her foot and said, well, I can't be on my grandparents' side then, can I, because it's not the same as what the teacher says.
Nikki Butt says to opt her daughter out of assembly or part of the assembly during prayers and hymn singing, as suggested by the school, would have made the five-year-old even more miserable. Their expression of religion was quite to do with the curriculum and the things that they were learning about. And, and it was scattered through the assembly. There wasn't was, yeah. one corralled piece. No. And then if, if her class had been preparing for assembly, which takes weeks, you know, they put a lot of effort into it, which part of her classroom activities wouldn't she be involved in? Even if it was five minutes at the beginning of assembly, I think at a state primary school you should be able to be a fully participating member of that community and not be publicly identified as being different. The school was reported as saying prayer during assembly was a 52-year tradition and it had to reflect the wishes of the school community, which was backed up by a survey of its parents. The president of the Principals Federation, Ernie Bootfeld, says in such cases, principals must keep very open lines of communication with parents over the best thing to do for the pupils' welfare. How that's best achieved needs to be discussed with the parent. The practicalities of it and minimising the impact and, if you like, the potential stigmatisation that might happen alongside that, that needs to be managed very carefully. And um, it may be that in that discussion the principal's able to make the parents aware that this potential damage is greater by leaving than in fact by staying. In this instance, however, the school and parents failed to reach a compromise and eventually the girl was sent to another school. The solicitor, Jordan Cox, says the incident highlights the coercion hidden in religious instruction and observance. Kids can feel coerced by peer pressure. If all of her other friends are participating in this and that they find they've automatically been enrolled in this, then there can be quite a strong indication that they should also be participating in this. But you could compare it to KiwiSaver, for example, where the government has said, saving is excellent, we want everyone to be doing these savings, we'll, we'll automatically enrol you in this scheme, but you can withdraw if you want to. And when you apply that to this religious situation, it's, it's sort of equivalent to the government saying, we think these religious instructions and observances classes are beneficial for everyone um, and you can only get out of them if you actively make that choice to withdraw. Mary Chamberlain from the Ministry of Education says schools must be careful how they approach opting out. Communication is really important and so is balancing rights and responsibilities like the rights of people to practice and observe their religion and the rights of children to opt out safely because you know sometimes you can say they can opt out but then it's such a big deal um, and children are usually quite powerless in those situations so making that safe and easy for children and not making them feel labelled those are the kinds of things that are really important to get right. There is an argument that opting in rather than out is fairer because parents sometimes leave their children in a CRE class not wanting them to appear different. Dr Bill Cook from the Association of Rationalists and Humanists and a primary school teacher says this applies particularly to new New Zealanders. Most migrant families are not going to want their children to be put at some sort of disadvantage. So even though they're not going to share uh, in likelihood the Christian commitment, they're likely to have their child in the class. The fairer, the more democratic way, and the way that would show exactly what the real commitment to this program is, would be for parents to opt in. 
At Waikanae Primary School, a survey of parents indicated half the community wanted religious instruction, or RI, and half did not. So the Board of Trustees dumped the opt-out model for opt-in, which, as the principal, Bevan Campbell, explains, seemed the fairer option. Parents have to actively make a choice to have their children participate in an RI program and they can either do that when they enrol their child at school or should they choose any time during the year they can come in and just ask the office for the child to be added to the RI list. Waikanae School chose to make our default mechanism a conscious choice of parents to opt in rather than um, everyone having to be in and you had to make a conscious choice to opt out. The prayer and assembly incident also illustrates the fine line between religious observance, when the school should be technically closed, and cultural traditions. Is the national anthem, for example, a cultural artefact, which can be freely used by schools whenever they wish? Or should it, imploring a Christian God as it does to defend New Zealand, be sung or played only if the school is closed? Karakia or Māori prayer also dances on the line dividing culture and religion. The Ministry of Education's Mary Chamberlain says the curriculum requires boards to develop policies and practices that reflect the unique position of Māori culture. The line between religious observance and tikanga Māori, it's not always clear. So schools always have to think about the context. So reciting a prayer, you know, say the Lord's Prayer in Māori at the beginning of a school day, that's quite different from having a karakia embedded in a pofiri. And as the Associate Minister for Education, Peter Sharples, explains, Māori culture and spirituality cannot be separated. Māori spirituality, I think the key point is it pervades every aspect of Māori culture, both contemporary and past. Everything we do has a spiritual base, whether it's to do with fishing, coming to work, crying, grieving, all those things. There is a spiritual base that uh, connects all that. It's sort of like a true concept of holistic interconnectedness. And that's why every time something Māori happens, there is a spiritual reference. Dr Sharple says increasingly karakia reflects a traditional pre-Christian spiritual oneness with the world. Many prayers don't acknowledge any gods at all. In our schools, therefore, in our kura, there is a, a mixture of references, if you like. It could be a Jesus kind of reference, or it could be to um, a Māori god. It could be the fact that we are of the trees. We all have a whakapapa genealogy that brings us down in different ways, but we're related. CRE complements our existing programs that we have in our school, particularly our values program that we uphold dearly. I used to fight a lot with my brothers, but now I've learned to respect them and it's helped me with my friendships. They're not being hammered with a religion, they're actually learning values and virtues. In a promotional DVD for Christian religious education, principals, teachers and children champion what CRE can do for students' morality. Brother Pat Lynch from the Catholic Education Office believes a religious course of ethics and values is more valuable than a secular one. The dynamo for people's motivation in terms of acting ethically has to be more than just simply someone jawboning them uh, as they're growing up that it's important to be honest. If you haven't got a spiritual dynamo, however you want to describe it, which sits underneath that, 
How are you ever going to act ethically? Religion in the past has had some pretty ugly dimensions, and people say, well, that's what religious people do. I don't want to have anything to do with it. Well, one can understand that reaction, but it's a cop-out in terms of the reality of that spiritual dimension in, the, in every human being and in our kids that needs to be nurtured, and it needs some vehicle. But the Association of Rationalists and Humanists' Dr Bill Cook couldn't disagree more. That means that no Hindu or no Buddhist or no Jain or no Confucianist or Taoist, let alone humanist, could give any sort of valid instruction in ethics. I mean, that would be an outrageous thing to say and, and obviously untrue. The manager of the CRE program, Patria Medland, says the values and ethics units being made compulsory this year in the primary schooling curriculum are those espoused by the CRE program. She says some parents worry about the biases of CRE teachers being communicated unconsciously to pupils, but they don't stop to think about the biases of classroom teachers. The classroom teacher may in fact espouse a lot of values that are not your values as a parent anyway. Are you going to interview every teacher that your child has and say, now, are those the exact values that I have and I want modelled to my child for six hours every day? Supporters of Christianity in schools say it should be part of a rounded education to know about who millions of people believe Jesus Christ was and what he stands for. Professor Paul Morris of Victoria University agrees, saying to know little of Christianity is to know little of New Zealand history and current institutions. The first debate in 1854 in our House of Representatives, the very first debate, was about religion. The so-called fourth article of the Treaty of Waitangi is about religion. And uh, we have a history where religion has played a very, very central role. It makes sense of things like the New Zealand Labour Movement. It makes sense of the specificities of our uh, history of legislation. Uh, it's hard to think about New Zealand music without Christian influences. Um, and it's true of our politics, of our religion, of our literature, of our art, etc., uh, etc. Et Professor Morris finds it shocking how little some students know about the Christian base of New Zealand's culture. We had a student last year in our first year course and came up to me after a class and said, well, exactly what is Easter? And I thought it was a joke. And, uh, and I said, well, you know, there's no classes for the next two weeks <laughs> because that seemed to be what I thought he was asking. And he said, no, I know that. And I said, oh, you must have done it at Sunday school. I didn't go to Sunday school. And I said, well, your parents must have told you about Easter. And he said, no, I know it's a holiday and I know, you know about Easter eggs, but why? And talking to him for a few minutes, both his parents were unchurched in that sense, and he just had no idea why the university shut down for two weeks. And now that actually happened, but it, it's kind of scandalous. A whole generation has lost that heritage. One way to remedy this, and one which is supported by virtually everyone in the debate, is to recognise that in a post-9-11 world, there's an urgent need for primary schools to focus on the comparative study of religions. Although he supports the continued presence of Christian educators in state-run primary schools, Brother Pat Lynch of the Catholic Education Office says there also needs to be emphasis on studying many religions. Remember Tony Blair saying some years ago, and while he cops a bit of flack for a variety of reasons, I think he was right on the button when he said, you cannot negotiate with anybody in the world today, and particularly in Africa and in Asia, 
without recognizing that religion is so fundamental to their culture, to their way of thinking, and if you dismiss it, you're not going to get to base one. And if we're going to have our young people becoming strong, proactive, global citizens, we've got to take that into account. The Auckland solicitor, Jordan Cox, says given the increasing diversity in New Zealand, it may be time to reach out to the minor religions. It's important to note that the Education Act doesn't say that it has to be Christian. It, it, it could be any religion. And so um, one, one avenue for the schools to take would be to reach out to the non-Christian or, or other variants of Christianity and bring that in so the kids can see that what's being presented to them by one side isn't necessarily agreed by all others and that there are other viewpoints out there that they can explore themselves. But the 2006 census shows the number of those affiliating with minor religions added to the one-third of New Zealanders who say they have no religion are still half a million less than those claiming to be Christian. For this reason, the founder of the Christian Compass Foundation, Greg Fleming, who's also the chief executive of the conservative think tank Maxim Institute, says Christianity should not be relegated to the same level as other religions. I don't think we can kid ourselves that Christianity should be given only equal weighting with other religions or other discussion within this philosophical and theological framework. The truth is that New Zealand has been hugely shaped by the Christian faith, by the Christian religion over the last 200 years. And uh, for that reason, I don't think we should jump straight into pretending that that's not the case. Brother Pat Lynch goes further, supporting a 1998 call from the then Prime Minister Jenny Shipley to drop the secular status of primary schools. One of the great joys in my life um, in terms of the New Zealand Catholic Education Office, we act on behalf of all the integrated schools in New Zealand. So I interact with uh, Muslim schools, with Hare Krishna schools and and a a spectrum in between. And we get on very well and uh, we respect our differences, but we recognise that we're actually all going along the same street. Today New Zealanders get on and that's because we have matured, I think, in the last 50 years. But Greg Fleming from the Compass Foundation would like to see a change of direction. Christian instruction replaced by philosophy classes. He says primary school children are capable of inquiring and discussing life's big questions. I would love to see uh, religion, and I use that in very broad terms, I mean, perhaps theology, philosophy, uh, a study of ethics and actually what informs ethics. Perhaps these are better ways of describing it. But if that's what we can take when I say that I mean religion, I want religion back, really, not, not just on the periphery of, of, our, of our schools and certainly not confined to uh, school technical shutdown for half an hour a week. I want it really back at the heart of our education system because that's where we actually address the question of what does it actually mean to be human. And I think fundamentally that's what education should be about. Uh, that is, who is the child becoming, not just what are they learning to do. Whichever direction religious instruction goes, Ernie Bootfeld from the Principals Federation advises parents to relax about the attitudes, including religious ones, their children may be picking up at school. By and large, they tend to reflect those of their parents, uh, regardless of the social situation they find themselves in. So I don't think parents need to feel threatened that uh, their children are suddenly going to be swayed in a particular direction. Those foundation years are exactly that. They will last a lifetime. Possibly New Zealand's foremost religious scholar, Emeritus Professor Sir Lloyd Gearing, has argued that what needs to take place on a widespread scale is public discussion about religion in schools. That discussion, he says, should be conducted in a spirit of tolerance and mutual sharing.
which is possibly a point New Zealand's atheist, agnostic, Christian, Buddhist, Muslim and Hindu community can agree on. That Insight programme for Radio New Zealand was written by Penny Mackay. It was produced by Philip Tolley with technical production by Damon Taylor.